0: this is an opportunity to make a massive change in a district. Tourism is the backbone of Queenstown Lakes. It is the, you know, 55% of all our GDP comes from tourism. If tourism can move to carbon zero, it actually influences everything in this district. Come join us.
1: Welcome back to Travel Beyond, where we partner with leading destinations to explore the greatest challenges facing communities and the planet, surfacing their most inspiring solutions. I'm David Archer, Editorial Manager at Destination Think, and I'm recording this from the village of Geeds, British Columbia, which is in beautiful Haida Gwaii, the territory of the Haida Nation. And this is a show where we look at the role of travel in the world and choose to highlight destinations that are global leaders. We're talking to the change makers who are addressing regenerative travel through action in their communities and often from the bottom up. And we are actively looking for the best examples of those efforts, the the efforts to regenerate economies, communities, and ecosystems all together. So please reach out to us if you have a story to share. We'd love to hear from you.
2: Hi, David, and hi, everybody. I'm Rodney Payne, the CEO at Destination Think. I'm excited to be here recording this from Revelstoke in British Columbia, Canada, a city on the territory of four First Nations, the Sinaiks, the Sequetmik, the Silks, and the Tunaha.
1: Yeah, glad to be back here. Um, Last episode, we heard from Monique Kelly, who's the co-founder of the WOW organization in Queenstown Lakes. And she's a local sustainability leader who is part of that groundswell of support for decarbonization and rapid decarbonization toward the goal of carbon zero by 2030. One of the things we were talking about last time is that um, the subject is quite messy in terms of the layers of relationships uh, behind this plan in tourism and in the community, how businesses, governments, community members, families, and industries, and the ecosystems are all interrelated. Um, And we're going to hear from one other point in that vast web. This time it's Matt Woods who's the CEO at Destination Queenstown and he's going to tell us about the social license for tourism in Queenstown Lakes and how the travel to a thriving future destination management plan is related to that. He'll also tell us a bit about going carbon zero versus carbon neutral, how New Zealand's travel industry might address scope three emissions and about some of the regenerative projects happening across Queenstown lakes. So Rodney, there's a lot happening here and the climate crisis is incredibly complex. Um, How do you avoid being overwhelmed as you work on all of this?
2: I think uh, (laughs) I'd be lying if I said I didn't get overwhelmed or frightened. Uh, I think that a lot of people who have really, you know, immersed themselves in understanding the math and science behind the physical reality that we're in and the momentum in human systems and earth systems, uh, spend at least some of their time being quite frightened about, you know, as, as someone once put it to me, a very spicy cake that we've baked for ourselves <laughs> and for future generations. I think there's some, uh, some important things to remember as well is that the, the lives that we live in many parts of the world, although, um, you know, thinking about what might happen in the future can be daunting. Uh, it's important to remember how incredible the life that we have right now is. And I try to do a lot of things that ground me into the present moment. I love spending time outdoors. I love spending time with my family and my daughter and my wife. And I love, uh, our garden and the, the magic behind watching plants grow. And I think, uh, Taking action is also you know a really good technique for um, connecting with other people and uh, having an impact and I think we've probably never lived through a time as important as this one for the future of our species
1: yeah it, I often feel that overwhelm it's a reminder that that there is a lot happening that we we can't we can't control ourselves and and that we can't possibly know as well. And that's why we need help and input from everybody. And we're also thinking about the concerned citizens everywhere as we make this podcast. Do you have any advice for those concerned citizens who are trying to make their town or their business a more climate-friendly place?
2: One of the things I think about a lot is why so many people are so reluctant to talk about uh, climate change and the local impacts that it's having, and I think whether it's in your local community or you know with, with people you know around the world, having conversations is is the starting point, and not not just ignoring the problem and not ignoring the you know the challenges and and how complex the issue and how conflicting it is to be living you know in a world where we're very dependent on fossil fuels, but knowing that we need to wean ourselves off them. So, um, just a willingness to talk about it. And starting to understand, you know, the way our lives are fundamentally intertwined with things that, you know, cause greenhouse gas emissions. um, While we try to reinvent a a future uh, that that can be a lot better and a lot more prosperous um, than the trajectory we're currently on.
1: We've also heard from, uh, in our previous season, from Alex Steffen, who's a a brilliant writer and um, climate reporter. Uh, for his whole career he's been working on this topic of of um you know communicating what people need to know about the changing climate um and he has this concept called ruggedization so how do you think about ruggedization these days and and um the ways that people can build the new kinds of networks and systems that will be needed in the future
2: i think there's a number of aspects to ruggedization i think that you know, from a, a place or community perspective, a lot of our infrastructure and systems are vulnerable to extreme weather events that we're already experiencing. And, you know, here in Canada, we're seeing highways close and, um, you know, intense wildfires and smoke and floods and all kinds of things that, um, you know, are, di- are distru- disrupting supply chains and, um, and having an impact on... Uh, the civilization that we've built, and I think that monumental um, disruption requires us to connect with each other, and we're seeing um, you know a little bit of a relocalization and a, a a deglobalization in its earliest stages right now as we react to um, growing resource scarcity and uh, a need to depend on one another. As we, as we really contemplate what, what this all means for our ways of life.
1: Absolutely. Um, and we'll hear from Matt a bit more about that in a moment. But first, I was wondering if you could describe for our listeners Queenstown, the city. That's where Matt is based at Destination Queenstown. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that place?
2: So Queenstown Lakes is a district uh, in the middle of the South Island of New Zealand, all the way down at the bottom of the world. And it's a beautiful country in a, you know, a temperate latitude. Um, the, the, the country of New Zealand basically exists because of a huge fault line and Queenstown, uh, is, is right in the middle of that. And there's, there's mountains around, there's beautiful lakes. Uh, there's about 50,000 people that live in the district and 30,000 of those live in Queenstown where Matt is from and, and the destination that he, he represents. Uh, So there's tons of outdoor activities. Uh, it's, It's a very sort of quintessential resort town.
1: And with that, I'll take us over to your conversation with Matt Woods, the CEO at Destination Queenstown. This was recorded in February 2023, around the time when the city of Auckland and its airport were going through some extreme weather events, which you'll hear referenced. Here's that conversation now.
2: We're in a beautiful property here, are you seeing changes in the environment?
0: Yeah definitely, like this orchard, um, we're about a month behind in in, the fruit ripening. Um, There's a lot of stone fruit that didn't actually get any fruit this year, it's a bit sad. We had a really late frost. Um, We don't actually have a lot of plums this year, there's no apricots and no peaches, it's a bit sad. And actually the two almond trees over there as well, no almonds as well, so yeah. And the whole garden is late. The raspberries this year were really late. Um, we had a wet December and then a really dry January. The driest January on history here. Four mil of rain.
2: What happened in Auckland last week?
0: Yeah, it's really sad, Auckland. Um, the disruption caused by climate change is so real. And they're still feeling that. It's two weeks in now and Auckland homes and families are hurting Um, you know we saw an airport closed because it was knee deep in water in the terminal Um, it was closed for 48 hours that was massive disruption in itself Uh, and then the schools couldn't open for a week so the first week of high school and primary school was delayed by seven days and that's climate change and the thing that gives me confidence to say that is There was not a single person on the media that said it was a 100-year storm or one in a 1,000-year storm, which is the norm. You know, you get a natural disaster and someone says, hey, it's a one in 100-year storm. No one said that. Everybody said, this is the effects of climate change. And now there's another cyclone coming in for Auckland, so they are hunked down and they're definitely worried, yeah.
2: Um, What happened today?
0: Yeah, today was pretty special. Um, Today was, you know, we've been working on this destination management plan for three years. We've debated a lot when we'd take it to council for endorsement. It is an output of the spatial plan from QLDC Council, Queenstown Lake District Council. There was a rush to see if we could do it last year, and I'm really pleased that we didn't actually take it to council last year. And um, there's a few reasons, because if we'd rushed, we probably would have presented the wrong plan. And we would have presented the plan we had in January, which was not the plan the community or the district wanted. And to, to actually get that feedback and build the plan and listen to the community and hear what they said and the challenges that they gave us back. Um, it was pretty special today to actually present that plan to council. And it was a new council as well. And, you know, council was voted in, in um, October last year. So this is really their first real sitting after being um, elected. And, you know, I would have thought going in to get an endorsement on the destination management plan, we would have had a few councillors with some questions of, well, how are you going to do this? Is this what the community said? Um, But they supported it. They were really brave, and I think that's the special thing about this district, is to watch the council and our mayor and just fully endorse this. And when I say fully endorse, to have every single councillor vote, I endorse this. Not one of them said no. And so, kind of mind blowing. Came out of there, um, yeah, on cloud nine, little euphoric, little surprised. Probably hasn't sunk in yet. <laughs> yeah, special day. Yeah, and I think um, the the big piece of that is a lot of hard work from a lot of people, including. All of the community gave us that feedback and gave us their time to give us that information and the time of people listening and recording and writing that down and hearing writing down what we heard and translating that to the plan and then putting a really really big goal to the point that people felt uncomfortable with that goal and at that point i think you know you got the right goal as soon as people are like this is really uncomfortable you're like yeah we're on track this is the way to go what happens now Wow, the real work begins, and the mahi begins right now. Like, um, there's one point for a plan, nine points for execution. So there's nine points up for grabs, I guess. It's, it's, it's exciting. Can't wait to get into it.
2: You feel like you've got support around you?
0: Yeah. Um, there's so much support around us, and, like, this is, is a groundswell. Um, it's quite special to be part of something that does snowballs like this. And when I say snowball, like, here's the tourism industry saying... We want to go carbon zero by 2030 and you present that to your community and your industry thinking how's this going to go down and you hear that silence pause and you're like oh what's coming back and then when the next question is yeah that's the right thing to do how are we going to do it you know you're on track but when you see everyone else jump in and get involved and when I say everyone else, this is industries and um, people from all around New Zealand and all around the world wanting to go, yeah, we want to be part of this. How do we do it? How can we help? We've got this. You're like, there's so much support. Like, um, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? And I, I, You know you have support when you ask for last-minute meetings with people with really busy schedules and they make it happen.
2: Why is it important to go carbon zero?
0: You just have to. <laughs> You know, like, we started with, um, what's the effects of climate change. We have to reverse this. And carbon zero is the only way to do that. You know, I've, I've talked to you about the analogy of the bathtub, and if you start to slow it down with a dripping tap, it still overflows. You have to stop the tap. Otherwise it overflows, and, um... It's not even dripping, it's going fast. You know, it's, it's on. The tap is still on, so we have to turn the tap off and we can't let it drip. And then we can give the planet some time to recover.
2: What's the difference between going carbon zero and, say, you know, carbon neutral?
0: Look, um, we can't buy our way out of this, eh? We've actually got to do something and do something now. The only way to do that is to go for carbon zero. We can't be neutral. Carbon zero is stopping everything and removing what we can't. Carbon neutral is not going to do it. That's still the tap dripping. Yeah, it's ignoring the problem and passing on to another generation. And look, I'm not upset with the previous generations, but we have inherited this. It's our job to do something about it. And if we don't, well, we're just handing it on, and that's wrong
2: can you tell us about why you needed to do a destination management plan going all the way back to the start? If we go back to pre-COVID,
0: Queenstown Lakes, Queenstown and Wanaka, we, we'd lost our social licence. The community here was definitely concerned around the amount of visitors. There was, um, the comment was there's too many um they're not here long enough they're not part of our community and they're not giving back so I, I think the first piece around that is the social license i think about um the next part of that plan and it's like this is an opportunity to make a massive change in a district because you know tourism is the backbone of queenstown lakes it is the you know 55 of all our gdp comes from tourism if tourism can move to carbon zero and if we can do it by carbon zero by 2030, if we can make that change, it actually influences everything in this district. And then I think about this district, and we have a really strong voice. You know, we're in the bottom of the South Pacific in New Zealand, um, You know, the first country to see light. And although there's only 5 million people in New Zealand, and there's only 50,000 people living down here in Queenstown Lakes, a lot of people in the world know where Queenstown is. And they, they listen to what we do and what we're thinking and if we can use that voice for good I think it's one of the reasons we need to have a destination management plan is so that we can actually show it can be done and I I think we can't do this on our own but if other destinations go wow we could do that too that's going to solve some of our problems and together we can solve it
2: what was the process like you worked with QLDC and another RTO do you want to tell us a little bit about that
0: I was working at a ski field, uh, I was working at Cadrona Alpine Resort, which was an incredible experience and a total privilege. Um, and I think, so I'm starting really early on this journey, and the reason I want to go there is because Cadrona was so leading, and is so leading in what it was doing, and it, it, it gave you that confidence that the the smallest piece of behaviour change can do something big. And so... If I start with the Kadrona journey and I think about when we remove coffee cups and people are like, you can't save the world with removing a coffee cup. And you're right, you can't, but you can. <laughs> and you can because it's the simplest thing that any one person can do is not use a takeaway coffee cup. And so you've changed some behavior. And if you can do behavior change, then you can change a whole lot of different things. But the cool thing that came working at Kadrona with taking away the coffee cups And more importantly let's think about coffee cups where are you going on the mountain with your coffee you're skiing you need to chill out you're on holiday (laughs) or it's your weekend or it's your day off just enjoy your coffee you you don't need to go anywhere with it so there's actually a behavior change just there to enjoy it and be social with your mates and enjoy your coffee but the next thing is the team at Cadrona where we could do more And they pushed harder and, you know, the following year we're like, we can get rid of plastic bottles, you know, the PET bottles. And so, which is reasonably easy. You just swap out, um, you know, soda and and plastic bottles for uh, aluminium cans. Um, But then you've got the problem with water. Water generally comes either in heavy glass and is a premium price or it's coming in PET plastic bottles. And um, there's good money to be made actually in selling (laughs) water you know it's a it's a business that didn't even exist probably 30 years ago Um, and the easy solution for water is you have cups that you give to people that you wash and you have water fountains and you just let people have free water and um the interesting thing with that is they still have five dollars in their pocket from the water that they didn't buy they might spend it on something else so that was kind of the decision we made was let's go aluminium cans for soda and we'll have cups that we wash and give out free water and we'll see if we can still, you know, yield some good revenue from um, those guests coming on the mountain, which we did and then the next thing from that was well that that seemed pretty cool I wonder what else we can do and so that's when we got into let's remove all rubbish bins from the mountain, which is like whoa how are we going to do that and um, the first piece is you just make the decision to do it and then you work out the how. And so you make the decision to remove the rubbish bins, you get the support of the team, and the team came up with this idea, and then you have to then go, how do we procure a product that doesn't need to be thrown on a rubbish bin? And you have to rethink everything. And a lot of the solutions are there, and um, you know, it's, in some cases there may be compostable wrappers on the product, or in some cases you could influence the supplier to put a compostable wrapper on. So I guess where I'm going with that is you start this movement. Starting from the coffee cups to what's more. And then more importantly, if you think about a ski field, it influences all those guests that come on the mountain. And the, the thing about skiers is they love mountains and they want to protect it. So if you are helping them to protect their mountain, they take that practice home with them as well. So you influence a lot of people. I then joined Lake Wanaka Tourism as the chair. And wanted to, some of the learnings from Cadrona to see if we could actually embed that into the DMP. So that was about the first two years of this project as the the chair at Lake Wanaka Tourism. And then ironically during that time the CEO at uh, Destination Queenstown um, had moved on to another location and an opportunity came up and I was talking to Tim who's the CEO here at Lake Wanaka Tourism and I was like Man, if we get the wrong person into Destination Queenstown, this whole thing could fall over, the Destination Management Plan. And uh, I think I want to throw my hat in the ring and get this thing across the line. That's where we are.
2: I think there's more passion among the steering committee here and a a more diverse steering committee than I've ever seen. Why is that? Why do you guys care so much? It's a place that you want to protect. There's... um,
0: a lot of great people and great minds here that you know you can work with. The steering committee, I mean, it's its interesting, isn't it? Like we're put together during COVID um, and um, it's a pretty special group. The COVID pause to stop and think and reflect is, is really important. And, um, you know, as a tourism destination, you know, that's reliant on international borders open to have them closed and have them closed for two years gave you that opportunity to stop and rethink. So we couldn't have done this without you know, that border closure. Um, it also gave us that time to really reflect on what's important to us and give us that time to connect with the community and listen in those community workshops. Never waste a good crisis. You know, and COVID was that crisis that was right in front of us. And, you know, we've all got our own COVID stories, and I'm sure in in all around the world. And there's that day when we were all told that stay home. And I think here in this community, um, that polarized the community in the sense that, sorry, it brought us all together and went, what is important is this place? Let's do something about it. And so when you put a big, Um, goal like Carbon Zero 2030 there, it resonates with everybody because you've actually all just gone through an incredible um, crisis and maybe our timing was just perfect and all those conditions aligned um, but there is definitely a willingness here and there's already a lot of things happening and a lot of people developing and working on ideas. And then we look at the conditions for why can why do we believe we can do carbon zero by twenty thirty here? And you know, Monique is a really important piece of that story and um in and, well, and the summit that she's been running here uh, five, six, maybe seven years. And you know, she describes it much better than I can and more elegant than I am. But you know, it's she talks about she's been, you know, cultivating the soil. And getting the right conditions and planting seeds and she can start to see those seeds sprouting. And at the moment, um, the Carbon Zero 2030 is a big ambitious goal and you need to have really good soil. And so, you know, I think if people like Monique and, and while Wanaka have done an exceptional job of preparing that readiness. And so there's, there's a total willingness to go to Carbon Zero 2030 and understanding of why. The other thing, you know, if you think about timing, um, in New Zealand, you know the national carrier going carbon uh, no, sorry going um, regional flights um, carbon zero by 2030 with electric planes and replacing their Bombier Q three hundreds to electric planes and having a test plane here by 2026 to try this out and their commitment to that program, you know it's you can feel this momentum. It's just it's all coming together at once. Um, and you know the airport is a really important piece of this a because it connects us to the rest of New Zealand Um, but because we have a really innovative airport and innovative with a CEO who's thinking really outside the box around how can I support and facilitate electric flights and when we get hydrogen flights how can I do that and so thinking if I become a refilling station for land transport then I'm ready for the hydrogen flights. so he's a real first mover. I think the other piece that's really come out of COVID that we shouldn't forget about is collaboration and pre-COVID I feel you were competing with your fellow you know businesses around you or operators and you didn't want to share that first mover advantage because it was yours it's like that's my advantage I don't want to give that up and COVID gave that opportunity to go actually we're all in this together and we need to solve these problems together. And I think the collaboration that came out of COVID is one of those little nuggets that can't be lost. And so capture onto that collaboration and surround yourself with people with similar ideas who who can help solve your problems and ask for help. You know, maybe, maybe that's one of the things that we just don't do enough of. Every time you meet somebody and you stop, and I talk about slowing down, but you stop and have a cup of tea You know, you find out their story, you find out what they're up to, and they'll let you know about their mate that's doing something else. And their mate that's doing something else. And then you start to join the dots and go, I think we can actually solve this.
2: What do you think this can do for New Zealand?
0: Look, I I think Kiwis... um, We like to innovate. You know, so this is a great place to do something like this. I, I think... You know, historically we've always, we've tinkered. Uh, we talk about the number eight wire invention. You know, I, I think even even the jet boat analogy is quite an interesting one. You know, Bill Hamilton up in Tekapo inventing a boat to go in water with only needing four inches of water. You know, that's, that's um, you know, necessity said I can't use an outboard. I need to come up with some other propulsion system. I'll come up with a jet. So hence the Hamilton jet. So it was used, you know, for farming to get up as rivers and canals. Then, you know, we turned that into a leisure item and for recreation and then we turned it into a tourism activity. And so to see a jet boat that's got an internal combustion engine now with an electric engine and hopefully an electric engine for visitors to use when they come to Queenstown, that's that kind of ingenuity that can solve these problems. And I think this is where New Zealand's really exciting, like, so then I think about what could this do for New Zealand and Queenstown. Queenstown is the perfect test centre for somebody to come and try new technology. And um, yesterday, another thing quite cool yesterday, um, there was an autonomous vehicle forum because he was, <laughs> in Queenstown. Um, they chose Queenstown because of its inspiration, its beauty. There was 50 delegates from around the world, um, and they bought... A autonomous vehicle with them, the first one to actually be on New Zealand Road which is kind of cool, so that was in Queenstown yesterday and today uh, for the public to use, it wasn't just for the delegates at the, the convention to use and you know I think what this can do for New zealanders we're saying we want to be carbon zero by 2030, if you've got some new tech that you want to test, come and test it here, this is a great place to test new things. Um, we've got a bunch of people that are keen and are innovators and, you know, we're pioneers. You know, we'll give it a crack.
1: Globally, tourism is, as an industry grappling with something like Scope 3 emissions. Like, how does tourism have to change globally in order to address these massive carbon problems? How do we spread that in a meaningful way and how do we address
2: Scope 3
0: you think about the early Māori, they they came here on waka, canoes. They navigated by stars. They weren't using any fossil fuels. It took them a while to get here, and when they came here, they stayed. So, you know, roll the clock forward 200 years later. Uh, Europeans come here. They sail here. They find this place. They sail back and tell some people they found a pretty cool place. Um, they didn't jump on a plane and turn up you know like i think we have to slow down we just got to slow down and so to come and visit somewhere like new zealand it is not right to come here for a day from a long distance you can't do that you've got to come here be part of the community become a temporary local stay enjoy and learn and then go back and tell those stories but you can't just come for a day it's not right if you're going to fly all the way from the other side of the world It's not right, we made it too easy, you know, the whole industry will change. You know, I I think the mix for us um, in tourism will change. We learned that over COVID, you know, New Zealand closed its borders. We had 4 million people coming into New Zealand a year in a country of 5 million. You close the borders, the only visitors are domestic. (laughs) So the domestic market has to be the first market to think about. We're really fortunate that we have some nearby neighbours, um, Australia and the Pacific Islands. Those those markets will be the, the first ones that will be able to be decarbonized as well. And then long haul is going to be much harder. We will find solutions for long haul. But I, I think the, the question for long haul is, you're welcome, but stay longer. Stay here and work. Work remotely from here. Come on holiday and work remotely. Stay longer and holiday. Holiday and stay. Um, And then learn, be part of the community, become that temporary local, and then go back.
2: For people embarking on a destination management plan, other people in your shoes, what advice would you give? Because I see a lot of people thinking that the plan is going to do everything. What would you say to them?
0: Yeah, I mean, this plan is um, a result of some incredible people, we, we, we mentioned the steering group, they are an amazing group of people. Um, surround yourself with fantastic people, people that challenge you, people that think differently, um, really diverse group, make sure you have people from you know, different backgrounds um, and then go out to your community and yeah, I mean, we, we've, it's been said that we've done a lot of consultation, I don't think you can do enough, you can always do more.
2: When you see things like Auckland and some of the stuff you're telling me around here, it's easy to get a bit overwhelmed. What are the things that bring you joy?
0: Oh man, we're sitting in an orchard with fruit around us.
2: <laughs> this,
0: um, to come home every day and see my family gives me joy. Um, but this region just gives me joy. I mean, I, uh, to go out mountain biking in the backyard, to go out on the lake, to go snow skiing. I mean, the four seasons here are incredible. To hang out with my mates... But to actually live in this community and see a community that is so brave and prepared to get behind such an ambitious goal, that gives me joy.
1: This has been Travel Beyond, presented by Destination Think. And you just heard from Matt Woods, CEO of Destination Queenstown. We'll include links to more resources on the blog for this episode at destinationthink.com. My co-host is Rodney Payne. This episode has been produced and has theme music composed by me, David Archer. Lindsey Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. Steve Henderson of Arcade Motion recorded this season's interviews on-site in Queenstown Lakes, and he also made a cameo this episode with his question about Scope 3 emissions. These include the aviation and transportation emissions caused on the way to visiting a tourism destination. We would like to thank Destination Queenstown, Lake Wanaka Tourism, and Queenstown Lakes District Council for their participation, their boldness, and for their trust in Destination Think throughout this project. You can help more people find this show by subscribing to future episodes and by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Next time we'll speak with Tim Bark, the CEO of Lake Wanaka Tourism, and Darren Rui, the Director of Taitea, who will talk about regeneration from a Maori perspective.
2: I mean, for Maori. We don't separate the environment, so the the environment is part of us. See
1: you then.